Welcome to the Jesus Famous Youth Teachings Podcast. Our vision is to see Jesus famous in the lives of the youth of our church. We want to see youth have opportunities for them to come to know Jesus in a complete and whole way and be united together in love, and most importantly, strengthened in the moments of discouragement. Jesus Famous Youth meets on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. and has a middle school program available on Sundays at 11 a.m. Now, let's get into our teaching. All right. Well, guys, if you don't have a Bible, go and grab a Bible. Because tonight we're going to have a motivational speaker right now. I don't know. Okay, anyway. Um, yeah, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Everyone say, thanks, Chris. I meant to do it. I meant to do it. Thank you, Amay. Thank you. Oh, Seth, you're not supposed to put it up yet. Come on. You're ruining the end. You're ruining it, Seth. The blood's on your hands. Oh, Seth. Get out of there. Get out. All right, guys. Well, if you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible there in the back. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Why? Go away. There we go. How's that? Okay. So before we get started, uh, one second, June. Gonna have June come up and read tonight. Yeah. Um, not yet. Not yet. I'll tell you when. So, um, I think I know everybody here. I've met you, but my name is Joshua. I'm the youth pastor. It's always good to see you guys. Um, you are the brave, the beautiful, the bold who came through the weather. Um, but if it is your first time here, uh, I just wanted to welcome you as the youth pastor and just kind of like, you know, if you've never been to youth group before or it's something new to you. I just want to encourage you that, that, you know, this is kind of a time when, um, and what we've created here as youth group is a place for you to kind of come to a place of like asking those questions of like, what is faith? Um, what is this thing called Christianity? What's this, this idea of God or this idea of religion and church and all that kind of stuff? And so this is a place for you to ask those type of questions, to be open about that, to even be honest about doubt or struggle that you have with that. Um, I hope that we've created a culture here between myself and our leaders that you can be uh, comfortable to ask those type of questions and just to basically be in a place of like, what is this life about? What is it all about? And so I just want to encourage you, that's what we're here for. You know, the time of worship, the time of teaching in small groups are for you guys, but it kind of works both ways where, where my leaders are here and I'm here for you. And so we just ask that you be respectful back, that the time of worship, the time of teaching, that, that you focus on that, that you're, you're, you're about that, that you're here with an open heart and an open mind. Even if you're struggling with it or you don't completely agree with it, that's okay. That's totally okay. Um, but I just ask that you respect it, right, in the same way that we respect you by creating this environment for you. So please respect that. Um, if you are here to distract or to be a distraction, I don't like treating you like children and asking you to move but we will because we don't want you distracting others around you or distracting yourself. So please just, like, be respectful in that way. Um, remember, this is a safe place. So if you come to do anything that you shouldn't do, right, or something that you normally wouldn't do around your parents or you think you can get away with it, just remember God is a tattletale. You will get caught. And I have to then step in. And you don't want me to step in because I will call your mommy. And if I have to, I'll call the popo. Okay? So... I'm just saying that, all right? I'm just saying that out loud. Um, but anyway, just remember, guys, this is a safe place for you. Love that you're here. Love that you're a part of this. Uh, June is going to come up and read tonight's section of Scripture. So. 
All right. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. I think right there. Yeah. Is it still on? I don't know. Yep. You're good. Cool. Um, ah, sorry. <laughs> to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who hold the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that the name before my father and his angels. Whoever has, sorry, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. Uh, father, we thank you for this night. We thank you that we get to worship you and praise you, that we get to read your written word to us and study it. God, we just continue to lean back on chapter one where you give us a promise that there will be a blessing for those who read this aloud, who listen to it, who, who apply it to their lives and live out the calling on us. So Father, I just thank you for every young person in this room tonight, no matter where they're at in their faith walk. I pray and ask, Lord, that you would reach them and meet them where they're at, and there would just be such a, a just moving in their hearts and minds tonight through this scripture. So Father, we thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Okay, guys. All right. Stop. Why is it moving everyone? Okay. So the church in Sardis, Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. Uh, we've been going through these seven letters, and we come to the church in Sardis. Now, if you've missed the teachings before this, they're recorded on uh, the Jesus Famous Youth Teaching Podcast. You're welcome to go back and listen to those. I encourage you to do that. Um, just so you can get kind of a full view of what's, what's happening within these seven letters. Each letter, even though specifically reaches out to that church in that specific area that John's writing to, um, they kind of all go together, right? Even though there's specific corrections and rebukes and encouragements for each one of these churches, the fact is that they also go together. And, and as you read them in a whole, as you read them kind of in progression, you see Jesus' heart deeper and more and more. You know, I kind of started this, this session or, or this series uh, with, with when we started Revelation uh, chapter 1, and I brought that quote as, as um, C.S. Lewis put it, when, when Lucy meets uh, Aslan in the third book of the Narnia series, and when she comes to him, she says, you're bigger, you're, you're more than, right? Have you ever read the stories, Aslan's a lion? And so, and basically Aslan says, no, I'm actually the same size I was when I first met you but you've just matured. You've just, you've grown. You've, you've, you've come to a place of understanding me more. And see, guys, I really believe that as you read a, a, a scripture like this, that it, literally it's Jesus' heart to the church. It's his heart to Christians, not just Christians, but to humanity. As you read through this, and if you really read it with like that open mind and open heart and got your thinking caps on, the fact is you're going to see God bigger at the end of this. He's going to be greater to you. He's going to be more magnificent to you. And now he's still God. He was that magnificent, that great when you first met him. But you've grown in maturity. You've grown in a place of understanding God more and coming to a place where you can start to understand and believe and actually follow after God's character. This is a really neat thing. And so as we come to the church in Sardis, I got the map up there for you. And so these are the seven churches in Asia Minor that, that John is writing to out of the book of Revelation. And see, Sardis is kind of up there, kind of central, but actually it's, that's a kind of a more mountainous region in Asia. 
Now, the church in Sardis, as John writes, it, writes to um, this church and to this city, um, this is an interesting city. It really is. And I think it, it plays to Je- Jesus' correction and his heart for the church in Sardis. So really, Sardis was this city on top of this mountain, basically. It was literally surrounded by cliffs. There was one road up to it and run, one road down. It was actually kind of, kind of boasted as an, an in, like a city that could not be conquered, a city that couldn't be taken over. Literally, the, the, one of the rulers of Sardis at one time actually, actually put out a, a, a bet right, or reward to anybody that could conquer the city or sneak into the city. And so many men tried different contraptions and different ways to scale the cliffs without being seen and, and basically like trying to sneak up the road or, or other ways to get into the city, and they couldn't. But some, uh, at, at one point when actually Persia was, was creeping into Roman territory, uh, a, Roman, or a Persian uh, um, warrior, soldier, soldier was, was kind of off, off far away from the city and was watching the city. And, and as he was watching, he actually saw a soldier drop a helmet from the city wall as it fell down the wall and then down the cliff. And he watched the soldier climb through the wall, through this kind of hidden passageway, and then down this hidden trail down the side of the cliff to, get his, to retrieve his, his helmet. And then he walked back up and went to his post. And so that night, this Persian soldier got his band together, and they, they, they went up this hidden trail, and then they scaled the wall of the city of Sardis. And then when they got to the top, there was actually no guards on duty. History tells us that literally Sardis was so complacent in, in how safe they were. They thought they were so impenetrable that, that they, they, the guards actually went to bed. They weren't on post. And so this, this legion of Persian warriors actually conquered the city without a fight. They, they snuck into the capital. They snuck into the, the main buildings. They were able to take over the city without even a fight because Sardis had gone so complacent with their power, with their protection. And so this, this city was really defined as a prideful place. History tells us that one of the first forms of money was formed in Sardis or minted in Sardis, like one of the first coins with, with, with an emperor's face on it was actually minted in Sardis. And so this, this city had a lot of money. It had a lot of protection. It kind of had a lot of pride. And it really, because of that pride, because of that protection, because of all that money and wealth, it had grown soft. And so this unconquerable city, actually two or three times through the Roman Empire all the way to the end, had been conquered two or three times without even a fight. Because literally it had grown so complacent that it just thought, no one can get to us. And basically what this comes down to is this city had kind of let down its guard. It had just kind of given up. It thought, we're good, we can do what we want because we're protected or because we're in this position. But the fact is they weren't. And so really what this brings, brings to light, you guys, as we look into this, is they become in this place of dead, basically. Even though they were this alive city, they were inwardly dead. And so as Jesus even corrects or sends this, this correction to the, the church in Sardis, he says to them, your reputation is that you are alive, but I see your works and you are actually dead. So in essence, they'd become this zombie church. Even though a lot, they looked alive, they had the motions, they had, the, they had this, in a sense, this action of being alive, the church was actually dead because the church had actually taken on the characteristics of the city of Sardis. They were comfortable. They were complacent. They had grown soft and prideful, so they became zombie Christians. Okay? So, yes, I'm going to talk about zombies tonight a little bit. So, all right. So, uh, I just like the pug. I don't know. Um, 
They're like so cute and ugly, but like they're just amazing. Um, I love pugs. <laughs> no, they don't. They're amazing. So, so listen. So the Christians there had become like zombies. Okay, they become like zombies. So I kind of got this teen zombie up there. All the actions of being alive. They could walk. They could talk. Shh, they could walk. They could talk. They could they could move. They, they acted like Christians. They, they moved like Christians. They had church services like Christians. You know, they maybe had the, the cross at the, at the entryway of their, their church door. Maybe they had a great worship band. They, they did all the things that looked Christian. But Jesus says to them, I, your reputation is that you look like me. Your reputation is that you act alive, but your works prove that you are dead. They prove that you are dead. And so, you guys, this calls to us as Christians that, listen, like, we need to ask the question, are we zombie Christians? Is there something in our life where our reputation says we're alive, but does our works prove that we're dead? Do our works prove that we have no life, no real life within us? Now, you can say, no, Josh, I'm alive. I know I'm alive. I can feel my pulse, right? I can send Luke and Abby around. They can make sure you're alive, check your blood pressure, right? Um, But see, the thing is, you can be alive, and you can walk, and you can talk, and you can be human. But see, guys, as Christians, we know that we're not truly living until we have the, the spirit of the living God within us. Until we come to a place of truly accepting Jesus' call on our lives, not just as Savior, because Savior means you're saved. Savior means that you have entered into the kingdom of God, but, but now as Lord. That, that you put Jesus on the throne of your life. You put him in this place of authority over you so that the Holy Spirit can enter you and actually make you alive. Now, see, the lesson of the church in Sardis basically speaks like this. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Do not let our guard down and remember the fight is not over until the fight is over. To the church in Sardis, they had come again to this place of complacency, weakness, softness. They thought they were protected. They were, they were comfortable with all the money and all the just like looking Christian. But see, as Jesus says, but you are dead, the fact is that speaks to us that we as Christians today, we can't afford to be like Sardis, guys. We can't afford to be zombie Christians. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and not let our guard down and remember the fight is not over until the fight is over. See, our, our Christian walk should look more like this. So you guys, I did a guy zombie and then a girl killing the guy zombie. You guys like that? Okay, so, all right. <laughs> I even asked June, I was like, June, is this too graphic? Would seventh grade June be offended by this? She's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. Okay, so there we go. So if you're offended by it, I'm sorry, June, blame June. Okay, so... But see, our Christian walk should be like this. Like, if you were in a zombie apocalypse, if you were in a zombie apocalypse, and there were real zombies cruising around wanting to eat your flesh, change you into one of them, you would fight like this. I hope you would, right? I hope you would, right? You'd have to prove to be part of my band of of survivors, but, like, you know, there's there's, uh, auditions, so, you know, if you want to be on the Shively band of survivalists. Um, So, but the fact is, our fight should be like this. That zombie is death. That zombie is decay, it's rot, you guys. It's not living. And so as Christians, we need to fight against that. We in our own lives need to fight against complacency. We need to fight against being soft and lazy and prideful. We need to run the race, you guys. We need to keep up the fight. We need to keep proving that Jesus is the best way to live. That there's nothing in this life that compares to him. There's no drug There's no substance. There's no relationship that will compare to this relationship with Jesus and what he has for your life. 
The book of Hebrews puts it this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the, of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And the writer of Hebrews puts it out there, Christian. Like, no, we are not called to be this complacent church. We are not called to be this lazy, weak, soft Christian. We are called to run the race that Jesus has put before us. We're called to look to Jesus because he endured the cross and sin and brokenness and all of that for us. And Paul, or the writer of Hebrew, even says, you, in your place of faith, you have not ran to the place of shedding blood. So keep running. Your, your, your blood has not been shed for the faith. You have not died a martyr's death, so you have no reason but then to act alive and to live as a living Christian, not a zombie one. And so as we get going, guys, really all seriousness, the, the saying, your reputation precedes you. And this is really the call that Jesus had for the church in Sardis. You know, the saying, your reputation precedes you. I mean, this is an idiom basically referring to the fact that people you are meeting with already know everything about you and your reputation and what, you expect, what to expect from you. Now, this is kind of true, right? When someone meets you, your reputation that they've heard, that's what they expect. But see, the thing is, you guys, Jesus knows so much deeper about our reputation. Jesus sees to the inner parts of who you are. He sees, he sees what you think. He sees what you feel. He knows you better than you know yourself. See, we all have a reputation that is public and known, but does this reputation truly match with what's happening inside of you? Like the church in Sardis, they were known for being alive, but yet they were dead. Does your reputation mimic that? Do people say, oh, no, this person's alive. They're good. They're walking. They're talking. They're breathing. But does it match with what you're really in the inside? Are you living on the inside? Is the, is the living God working in you? Is he transforming you? Is he moving in you? Or are you dead inside? Are you letting the lies of this life and the lies of this world decay you from the inside out? Are you listening to what the world is saying you need to conform to and be like? Is your identity for, like structured around like the things you say and the things you do, the things you consume or the relationships you have? Or is it based in something more? See, we are whole people mentally, physically, and spiritually. See, a zombie mentally, physically, spiritually is dead, okay? But see, we as humans, we as Christians, we are these whole people, and we're to be living within it. Jesus knows what is happening with every part of us as he knew what was happening in the church in Sardis. Their reputation was alive, but Jesus saw them as dead, and we need to be more than that, guys. And this is the call that Jesus has to us from the church in Sardis. So getting into the scripture tonight... Revelation chapter 3, verse 1a, so the first part of verse 1, says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Just like in every one of these letters, we see a description of Jesus from the first chapter. And so this part of it, as this letter is written to the church in Sardis, we see that Jesus has seven stars and he has the seven spirits of God. Now, basically what this equals, as the, the number seven in the Bible equals completeness, what we see here is a complete Jesus. Literally, that he is complete in all ways. As the seven spirits of God, meaning he is complete in all the workings of the Holy Spirit, 
all the fruits of the Spirit, all the ways that the Spirit of God moves within humanity and within eternity, Jesus has and is completing it. And even holding the seven stars, he completely holds the church today. He is complete in all his ways. And now, Jesus being complete, you guys, how does this encourage us to know that Jesus is complete? As every one of these descriptions of Jesus should put us in a place of reverence, knowing that he is God, that he is king, that he is Lord over all the universe, but yet it brings us peace too. And as we look at a completed Jesus, this should bring us peace. First off, his purpose, plan, and work in us is good and not lacking. See, we can have faith that when Jesus gives you a purpose, when he says that you are mine, that, that I have a plan for you, see, we, we should have faith knowing that that is complete, that, that it's not lacking anything. That it's not kind of a half-baked plan. It's not, like, it's not like Jesus goes to build a house with you and like change you into something and then halfway through gets bored and goes, yeah, I'm done. I'm going to move on. That's not how he works. See, his plan for you is complete. He is faithful to complete this work that he's doing within you. Number two, his eternal work of salvation will never need to be amended or redone. See, Jesus' work on the cross, it is complete. It's done. When he said, I'm on, when he said on the cross, it is finished, it, it was finished. He had died. He had taken on all the sins for all humanity, past, present, and future. At that moment, he was separated from God the Father for the first time in all existence so that you and I would not have to bear the weight of that sin. And it doesn't have to be redone, guys. It doesn't have to be Jesus and. It just is Jesus and his work. Number three, his love and care for us is truly unconditional. See, if Jesus is complete, then his love for you is unconditional. You guys, there's no other being or purpose or deity or thing in all of the universe that can say their love for you is unconditional. Even your parents. I am a parent. I love my kids. I will die for my kids, but I cannot love them absolutely unconditionally all the time. I'm broken. I'm a human. Your parents are the same way. I'm sorry. <laughs> they love you a lot, but they cannot love you in complete unconditional, where, where they don't want anything back in return. Jesus loves you. And my fourth point there is he, he, all he wants is you now as you are. His love is so complete that he just wants you. He's not saying, hey, clean up your act. Stop doing this. Stop smoking that. Stop having that relationship. Stop watching this. Then come to me. He just says, hey, come to me. Just know who I am. Just come. Realize, like, like learn about me. I want you just as you are. This is the complete Jesus that we see in Revelation 3.1 to the church in Sardis. Moving on to the second part of verse 1, he says, I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So here's the main correction to the church in Sardis. See, God's knowledge of us is beyond our reputation. It's beyond our reputation. No matter how well or how good we can make our reputation here on earth, right here, no matter how much your first impression matters to others, the fact is Jesus sees beyond our reputation. He sees past that. See, now, there's, why is it terrifying and yet liberating that Jesus sees us for who we really are? Because I don't know about you, but knowing that Jesus can see me, like, past any type of facade, past the tattoos, past any mistakes, past my charisma, whatever it is, Jesus sees me. That one, you guys, that terrifies me. It scares the crud out of me. But it also, you guys, it liberates me. It gives me oh, such freedom. So, why is it terrifying? It's terrifying because we cannot hide or pretend. When Jesus sees us for who we are, there's no hiding. There's no pretending. You know, you can't put on a hood and stick in earbuds and try to, try to dodge Jesus. He knows who you are. You can't hide. You can't pretend. 
It's also terrifying because we have to be truthful with him and ourselves. See, when Jesus looks upon you, he shines light, and we have no choice but to be truthful. We have no choice but to to really look at the anxieties and fears and depressions and the things that bog us down and be real honest with ourselves. Where am I prideful? Where am I arrogant? Where is this sin in my life that's keeping me from really being who I'm supposed to be? Number three, it shows us where we are weak and broken. See, none of us like to admit where we're weak and broken. But yet when Jesus looks upon us and we, we, we realize that he sees us, we have to admit in our weakness, in our brokenness, Jesus actually makes us stronger. Number four, it's terrifying because it challenges us to grow, heal, and change. See, we as humans like to stay in our little, our little comfort zone, even if that comfort zone is, is unhealthy at times and kind of like kind of stinky, you know, where it's like, no, I'm good, you know. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had like a toddler or like a little, little kid, they, and they're running around having fun, and you're like, man, you just pooped, it's stinky. And they're like, I'm good, I just want to keep playing. You're like, no, you stink, I need to change you. And they're like, no, I'm cool, I'm good, I'll keep playing on the play set, we can change later. And it's like, no, now, because you have poop in your diaper, and I need to change you. See, we're like that sometimes. We're like, Jesus, I don't want to change. I don't want you to heal me, I'm, I'm good, I'm comfortable where I'm at, I'm having fun, I'm okay. And that makes it terrifying. Now, it's liberating because we do not need to hide. See, it's liberating because there's no, there's no more need to hide, guys. There's no more need to have a facade. Number two, you guys, Jesus knows us and loves us despite our brokenness. It's liberating because even in my sin, even in my brokenness and my pain, Jesus still loves me. Number four, we can now live in the light and truth rather than in lies and darkness. You guys, and then number five, Jesus' loving hand can guide us to grow, heal, and mature. So the beautiful thing is that he actually guides us. I know mature is spelled wrong. Thank you. Okay, moving on. <laughs> All right, next verse, you guys. Um, verse 2 and 3a, okay. Wake up and strengthen what remains uh, and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard and keep it and repent, okay? So, you guys, we do not like correction even, in the evident, even when it's evident and needed, okay? We as humans don't like correction. We don't like someone telling us what to do. I mean, think about it. Think about it right? You know to take out the garbage every day, right? You know that. You, know, you walk by, the garbage is full. You know that's your chore. Do you like it when your parents remind you to take out the garbage? No, because you know it's got to be. But we as parents know that you're going to for, forget and we have to remind you, right? But see, the thing is, you don't like that. Don't, don't tell me that, mom. I know, but I need to correct you in that, okay? But we don't like it. Even when it's evident, even when the garbage is full and you walk by it six times and I'm like, Garbage is full. You walk, don't tell me that. I know what's, okay, anyway, you get it. Now, <laughs> what is Jesus telling the church in Sardis to change, right? If we don't like correction, but yet even when it's evident, what is he telling them to change? Well, first off, he's telling them to wake up, okay? He's telling them to wake up. Now, this wake up can also be alive. He's telling them to come to life. You're, you're, you are acting like you're alive, but really you're dead. I want you to come to life. I want you to be living. See, so many times, young Christians, we act very Christian, we go to church, we, we sing the songs, we can act very Christian, but yet inwardly there's no real life. There's no real life for Jesus, and Jesus is saying, no, you're not living like you're supposed to. You're not living with the real joy and peace that you're supposed to have as a Christian. See, Jesus said, I come to give you life and life to the full, and yet if we're living, we're living as dead Christians, that life is not there. So first correction is wake up or come alive. Second, strengthen what remains and it's, is about to die. Right? The correction is, listen, you have parts of you that are dying, that are gangrene, rottenness. 
either bring those back to life or cut them off. Don't let those things decay, the other parts that are living. Number three, that your works are incomplete in the sight of God. Meaning like you are starting things, but because you're dead inside, that your strength, your, your outward life can only take you so far. So you guys, our strength can only take us as far as our strength can go. But see, when we're living with the Holy Spirit within us, we can complete what God is calling us to complete. Lastly, he says remember, and he wants them to remember what you've received, what you've heard, you keep it, and that you repent. These are very common corrections through the, through the letters of Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, where Jesus basically say, receive what you've been told, right? If you've been raised in the church or you're even hearing this right now, receive it, right? Hold on to it, keep it, and then repent, like move on it. Move on the conviction and move on what God is calling you to do. Second part of verse 3 says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at the hour I will come again against you. Now, you guys, the fact is what, what Jesus is portraying to the church in Sardis and as he portrays to us some 2,000 years later is that he takes our reputation and our actions very seriously. So, you guys, the act of transformation, the act of being a light and salt to this world is a Christian thing. And if you're sitting here tonight and you're not a Christian, this is going to be foreign to you because you haven't come to the place of realizing that, that you are a zombie, that you don't have real life without Jesus. But see, if you're sitting here tonight and you call yourself a Christian, then you have life within you. You have Jesus. And so he takes that because you are alive, because you are his, you are a Christian. He takes your reputation and your actions very seriously. I think this is something we forget in the modern church and we forget just even our daily walks. But see, the fact is, guys, like who you are matters to Jesus. What you do in this life matters to him because you ultimately represent him. So why is it important that we wake up or are awake and, Jesus is correct, uh, and see Jesus' correction? Why is it important that we are awake? Well, when we are awake, think about this. When we're awake Christians, our eyes are open and we see the world through a biblical worldview. See, when we're awake, when we're living, we can actually see the world for what it is. We can see, we can see the, the difference between good and evil and right and wrong. And we can call out sin and call out what's, what's broken in people so that they can come to the salvation of Jesus Christ. We can speak truth to a world that is confused, that, that has the, uh, theology and, and ideas that just do not line up. You guys, when we're awake, we can see the world through a biblical lens. When we're awake, our mind is clear and we can see the need for Jesus in this broken world. See, when we're not awake, when we're kind of dull and we're, we're, we have sin in our lives, we're living as that, that Christian zombie, we can't truly be a witness. You can't go to that friend and say, like, listen, hey, hey, you need Jesus. You need faith in your life. You need to give yourself up to this thing because this is where life is. See, when you're dull and you're acting like that zombie Christian, you can't be a true witness. But see, when you're awake and you're living, you can be that witness to the friends around you. You can be that light to the friends around you. Number three, we can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, and he calls us to live by faith. See, we can actually hear the Holy Spirit moving in us. We can hear his voice. We can feel his call when he calls us to move and step out of our comfort zone. Our bodies are in motion and about kingdom work when we're awake. See, when you're sleeping, you don't move anywhere. You may move a lot in your sleep. That's okay, but there's no real movement to it. Anybody walk in their sleep in here? Really? Like bad? Like do your parents have to lock the door? Oh, okay. I had a cousin, he used to pee in the fridge all the time. It was horrible. He only spent the night at our house one time. Um, it was horrible. Um, 
And then you see them get up in the middle of the night, and they pretend to open the door, and then they run into the door. Like, it's just like every time. It's hilarious. Anyway, see, that, that's not real movement. But when you're awake, you can actually move. You can actually be of good work. And lastly, we can taste. You guys, when we're awake, we can actually taste how good Jesus is at producing the spiritual fruit in us that draw others to the church. See, an awake Christian, you guys, produces spiritual fruit. An awake Christian lives a life that's attractive and invites other people to Jesus and becoming awake. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie The Matrix, but it's like this idea that, that, that like you think you're eating steak, right? You think you're eating steak or you think you're eating chicken, but the computer's just telling you what chicken tastes like. It's just telling you what steak feels like and, and what it tastes like, but you don't really know until you come out of the matrix and then you realize steak doesn't taste like steak at all, but it's just the computer telling you. It's just your mind telling you. But see, when you are awake in Jesus, you can see the good fruit of what it means to be a Christian. And you can tell other people, hey, your life that you're living, it, it's, it's so much more than you think. That steak that you're eating right now, try eating that steak with Jesus, right? Try eating with Jesus. Try living with Jesus and see how much better life is. All right, moving on, guys. Verse 4, he says, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. Sorry, go back. Yet you still have a few. Nope. Nope. Yeah, there it is. Uh, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have soil, not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. This is a really neat verse. I actually brought the message on here, because I want you guys to hear it through, through uh, another kind of version of the Bible where it says, you still have a few followers uh, of Jesus in Sardis who haven't ruined themselves, wallowing in the muck of the world's ways. They'll walk with me in a parade. They've proven their worth. I thought that was really cool how, how that kind of comes out a little bit more. And so, you guys, we should all desire to be amongst the few names. When we read through a letter like this that Jesus is writing to Sardis, and we come to a section where this is the commendation that, that, that Jesus has for the church in Sardis, even though he's correcting them a lot. He's basically calling them out on being dead. He says, but there are a few followers there. There are a few Christians within this church that, that haven't soiled themselves, who haven't wallowed in the muck of the world's ways, as the message says there. And so we as Christians, as we read something like this, this should encourage us and, and push us and urge us to be one of those few names. In the world that you guys are living in where, where Christian churches are compromising left and right, where there's a lot of th bad theology out there and there's a lot of churches that are teaching it, we should want to be of those few names. Now, what are the, your desires, you guys? What are your desires, and do they lead you to Jesus? See, your desires bring you, bring you to that place of being one of the few names or being one of the Christian zombies. Just a few things here. Do your desires put you in line with the ma masses or the minority? Are you in the masses of, 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 of progressive theology and progressive Christianity, or are you in the minority of those who hold fast to good theology, to biblical truth? Do your desires lead you to righteousness and holiness or to wallow in the world's ways and the mucks? Do your desires draw you to walk with Jesus in boldness and courage? Does, does what you desire prove worthiness before Jesus or shame and guilt? See, our desires will bring us to a place of either worthiness before Jesus or to a place of, of shame and guilt, you guys, because it moves us away from Jesus. What are your desires? What do you desire in this life, and does it line up with God? Does it line up with Jesus' uh, ways of your life? Last couple of verses here, guys. I'm almost done. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot 
his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You guys, there is a reward to those who truly live and reject the desires to be a zombie. As, as many of these letters end, Jesus commends and says to those who conquer. And I've talked about this, that, that we conquer and, and why we, we conquer. And basically, through conquering, we come to a place of our testimony, showing the world why Jesus is worthy of the fight. You guys, if we conquer, and really it's conquering sin and death, it's conquering the flesh, the world, and the devil. If we do that with our lives, what we're doing is showing the world that Jesus is worth the fight. I fight against this because Jesus is worth it. I don't do this because make, being a youth pastor, I make a lot of money. That's not why I do this, right? Like all the fame and glory of having you guys listen to me every Tuesday, right? And like, that's not why I do this. I do this because I really believe that Jesus is worth it. I really believe that telling you about him, that, that leading you to a faith in him is worth it, you guys. Now in Jesus, we can be victorious over the flesh, Satan, and the world. Now, this, this is the description, in a sense, of, of, of conquering the things that take us from God, letting go of the things that take us from God and clinging to Jesus. You guys, our sin, guilt, and shame no longer clothe us. When we're victorious, they, they no longer clothe us. They no longer keep us down. They no longer um, cover us. Right? We're covered now with this white garment that Jesus talks about. We have eternal life when this one is over. See, think about it. This life will end. Right? You know that, I know that. Death is the great equalizer of mankind. It just is. Rich, poor, strong, weak, girl, boy, it doesn't matter. You will die one day. And yet, what, as we conquer, as Jesus says here to those who conquer, uh, he gives us eternal life. I mean, when this life's over, we get eternity with him. If we don't choose him in this life, we don't get him in the next. Right? But if we choose him in this life, we receive that eternity in the next. Right? Jesus himself will stand with us, for us, and by us, through all of this life and into eternity. See, when we, we choose not to be a zombie Christian, we choose to have life, you guys, we have the God of the universe standing with us. We have the God of the universe standing for us and by us, and we'll actually be on our behalf every step of the way in this life. And lastly, you guys, what else in this life or the next can give you what Jesus gives you? What else can, what, what can you receive from anything but Jesus? There's nothing that compares. There's nothing that lines up, you guys. There is nothing that offers you, offers you eternal life. There's nothing that offers you peace and fullness in this life. There's nothing that covers you, not with sin and shame and guilt, but with the covering of righteousness and holiness. But Jesus, you guys, there's nothing. Now, finishing up with just a couple applications, guys. So first one, remember that Jesus is complete in who he is. He uh, is who he is and just desires you as you are. He loves you truly unconditionally. This is something to remember. This is something to apply in your life as you, as you question, as you grow and mature and just being a teenager and you ask the question, who am I? Man, if you are a Christian, then you know that you are loved ultimately by Jesus unconditionally. Number two, you are more than your public reputation and Jesus, um, Jesus, what's they say? Jesus sees the real you. Um, so you're more than your public reputation, and Jesus sees the real you. Number three, three, accept the Holy Spirit's guidance, correction, and molding in your life. I mean, this is something we need to apply every single day that literally, like, we are to, we are to allow the correction of the Spirit in our life and actually listen to it and move in it. Number four, the fruit you grow in this life matters. 
Is it the spiritual fruit or the fleshly fruit? That's for you to answer and ask. Number five, evaluate your desires and take out the ones that do not bring you to Jesus. So ask yourself, what are my desires? What leads me in this life? And does it line up with Jesus? If it doesn't, then that's not going to bring you peace. That's not going to bring you fulfillment. And lastly, number six, choose this day or choose each day to be alive, awake, and aware of God's plan. Don't be a zombie. All right, guys. So let's go to small groups, and, uh, and hopefully it's a good time. So, Father, we thank you so much for this time, your grace, and your mercy just through this text. We give you praise. We give you worship. I pray that small groups would just be blessed and would be just full of you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you at Youth Group on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. If you'd like more information about JFY or have a question, reach out to us at joshuas at calvary.com or DM us on Instagram at ymcalvary.